0: They're taking advantage of the fact they're not going to be competitive. They're saying, you know, we know we're not going to win right now. How can we turn that to our advantage? It's
1: by the information gathering. What I, how I feel with my career, the way my career went, I wish I gave less craps about what other people thought.
0: Welcome to another episode of Digging In with J.P. Aaron Sevier. I'm your host, as always, Nick Ashborn. Today, our guest is Blue Jays hitting coach Guillermo Martinez. The guy I feel like a lot of fans aren't super, super familiar with, but the fact that he's gone to this point at the age that he's done it is really, really remarkable. His, his coaching career has just taken off. He, you know, He's 26, I believe it was eight years ago, playing in indie ball, and now he's the hitting coach for a major
1: league team. That's an incredible accomplishment. Well, there's a few reasons for that. One is he's one of the better minds of the game. Everywhere he's gone in the minor leagues, the, the players have hit. At above average clip, they're usually at the top of the, the charts in offense in in the league that they're in. Also, this guy works at a rate. I was with him during instructs uh, this past year. He has videos upon videos upon videos of players that he's that he's you know taking clips of drills that he's taking clips of. I mean, so much so that other people that try to get jobs go to him to ask for, like, hey, what do I need to put in my resume? And, like, give me a, a, a plan so I can show this organization the plan because that's how good this guy is. And so he's here because he's worked really hard and he cares a lot, but he's also really, really, really good at what he does. And I think his struggles as a player, you know, most good coaches maybe didn't have the best careers, and I think that that's why he's good is because he also understands – you know, the struggles of the game were as opposed to, you know, some of the hitting coaches that I've had before in the major leagues, um, not in Toronto, but that they were such good players that it's tough to teach and it's tough to teach what they do. So I'm excited. I played with him since I was a kid. Uh, we, we we played against each other in high school. He's he's one of the better guys I've been around. So it, it's fun to watch him now in Toronto have the opportunity that he has.
0: You bring up a good point about the success of and I think this goes across sports. The success of guys as coaches when they weren't particularly good players. You see incredible legendary players rarely have good coaching careers. We know that in hockey Wayne Gretzky was a coach of the Coyotes. That didn't go well. In baseball, you know, Barry Bonds had a little bit of a stint with the Marlins. Imagine trying to learn to hit from Barry Bonds. Like I just don't think that he gets it. I like to him, the game was so easy that it's probably hard for that player to relate to someone who's just on that pedestal and a guy who's grinded through you know independent leagues for like four years martinez he he topped out at uh, high a I believe like he
1: he understands the struggle that's for sure yeah well i mean it's here's a funny story is one of my buddies was in uh the Oakland organization and Ricky Henderson is their base running coach and they're trying to they were going over like stealing bases and he said that Ricky would take a lead and go. All right, watch this, watch this, go. And so he would like he's the the runner was like, okay, what's this? Uh, I didn't really see that, but and he go, no, no, watch, 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 go. And my buddy was like, hey man, I don't see what you're seeing, but but it's Ricky Henderson, right? You're talking about the best base dealer of all time. Like these guys see the game at a different level, which is he told he told me the story like, dude. That was the worst experience ever because I was expecting to get something from him. And then I was like, well, this sucks because I can't see what he's, he's trying to teach me. So I do think that the struggle allows you to have to dig into not only your mind, but but also their mechanics and you have to try different things and it allows you to be a much better coach because of it. I'm sure there's also players that were really good that I, you know, could be great coaches, I'm, I'm sure. But it's tougher to relate and it's it's especially tougher to relate to the struggles like like when you're a Hall of Famer, like Barry Bonds, like dude, what, what, like long drought did you go through? Like talk, you're gonna tell me that hey, just keep your head, it's okay. Like, no, when did you struggle? When did you ever have a a two month period where you were batting a buck fifty? You didn't, and you hit every ball that they threw over the plate. And freaking- and
0: his just you know, as an example for Bonds, like his patience was so his ability to see the zone and understand the zone is just on another level of almost anyone who's ever played the game. So if you're a guy who doesn't you know walk like that and take those pitches, it's hard for him to like imagine you know Kevin Pilar. And I don't want to pick on him because he has good qualities as a hitter, but like Kevin Pilar hitting under Barry Bonds,
1: like it's tough. Guys have different styles. Well, you know it's so what what I was saying earlier where I had guys, Dave Magadan was one of my hitting coaches in in Texas. And Dave is, I love him as a human being. He's great. But as a hitting coach, we couldn't match up because honestly, he was a guy who was more walks and strikeouts and he was a big other way, the, the opposite field guy. And he tried to like create me to be that. And then the first month in Texas, I struggled bad. And it was like, well, dude, you got to go. And even other players were like, hey, JP, what the heck are you doing up there? Like, why are you? And I was like, well, he has me. And when I got sent down to the minor leagues, one of the hitting coaches was like, dude, what the heck are you doing? Like pull the ball. You're a pull hitter. You have to use your strengths. You're in the big leagues, dude. Like you're going against strength against strength. And if you're trying to be somebody you're not, you're going to get your butt whooped, which I was. And so that's, you know, I, I ended up getting better. And then I came up that second half, actually I, I came back in Toronto was my first series and I, I led that team at home runs and RBIs after because I finally was like, dude, that doesn't work for me But a lot of guys that have that those storied careers, they think that everybody can do what they do and, and it's it's not the fact. So I'm excited to talk to
0: Guillermo about a lot of the young players the Blue Jays have coming up and developing those hitters. Before we do, I want to look at kind of the big topic of the day, which has to be the Madison baumgartner Max Muncie, and I know we've talked about bat flips in one form or another a few times this year. It's come up a lot in baseball. I think that this one is a little bit different because you know, I, you know, if you guys hadn't seen what happened, basically. Muncy hit a home run off Baumgartner. Then he, you know, he looked at the home run, and we agreed. We talked about it beforehand. It wasn't egregious. It was kind of a relatively
1: normal admiration. Dude, it, wasn't, it was not that bad. It was a
0: nice dinger, too. It went yeah. into the bay. Like you know, It's fine. Anyway, so then Baumgartner's kind of yelling at him as he goes around the base as he comes in. So there are a couple quotes that come out after the game. The first one is Muncie. He says, you know, I yelled at him. He yelled at me. I don't know if he even heard me. Honestly, I thought that was one of my tamer bat flips, which is probably true. And then he said, I told him, if you don't want to watch me watch the ball, you can go in the ocean and get it. And that's kind of the memorable quote that everyone is latching onto now. It's funny, on the way into the studio today, I was listening to my favorite baseball podcast, shout out Effectively Wild, Ben Lindbergh and Sam Miller. And I was going to talk about how this quote doesn't quite make sense when you break it down. And then Sam Miller of ESPN, he went on it's got to be like a 10-minute rant about like breaking down that quote and how it's kind of wordy and it doesn't quite work. He did it better than I'm going to do it. I'll leave that aside. Let's assume, like, you know, go in the ocean and get it. That's probably going to be on a t-shirt at some point. Fans are going to be tweeting about it forever. The Baumgartner quote actually I thought was a little bit more interesting because he said, I can't say it with a straight face. The more I think about it, you should just let the kids play and that's what everyone's saying, but I can't. He struck a pose and walked further than I liked. That's fine. If you want to do that, do it. But I'm going to do what I want to do. They want to let everyone be themselves, so let me be myself. That's me. I'd sooner fight than walk or whatever. Just do your thing. I'll do mine. So there is something to be said for that where, you know, I think the winds are blowing in favor of bat flips in baseball. I think the acceptance is getting there. Not with everybody. But he's saying, okay, if that's your expression of your authentic self as these bat flips and these celebrations – my expression of my authentic self is me being pissed off at you.
1: And I don't know. Do you think there's validity to that? Well, honestly, you know, I, I have to say that's a pretty dang good point. Honestly, that's how I feel. I, everybody's all excited. And and if you, you do it one way, then some people are going to say something. If you do it the other people are going to, everyone's offended these days, I feel like. And so I actually like what what Madison said. Is like, dude, if that's what his personality is, why can't I be myself? So you can't you can't just be like, hey, you have to let these guys do these things, and then because I, the way I react, it's like, well, you can't react like that. Well, that's who- so if if you're letting them be themselves, why can't I be my myself? And everybody knows around the league, Madison Bumgarner wants to go. Like this guy wants to fight. They know. I mean there's stories of him even in the clubhouse, like, let's go. He's a great guy. Awesome guy. But he's a cowboy that's like, all right, you guys want to mess around, let's let's get after it. And so I kinda am okay with that because it's listen, I don't think his, his bat flip I think Muncie's bat flip was actually very like nothing. There wasn't much to it. It wasn't at all. I got upset at Tim Anderson. I thought this one was was nothing. The the one thing that I did like where I did see was they had a video of a side-by-side of Bumgarner and Muncy with both bat home runs, like bat flip, like walk out of the box. Very similar, very similar. And so I thought that was funny because I was like, he's getting upset at, at Max when he literally has done the same thing on when he's hit some home runs. I just think at the end of the day, it's the chirping back and forth. That's why I love hockey and stuff like that. Because it's like, it almost looked like to me like Muncie was saying, all right, let's go. Like when he was rounding first base, he was like kind of waving at him, let's go. And Bumgarner is bent, was kind of being held by the, the umpire, like trying to ke- calm him down, which I think the umpire, I have to. I have to say, umpires usually suck. I think he did a good job at, at stopping it before it happened.
0: Yeah, prevention is better than breaking yeah. it up.
1: No, I think he did a great job of, of not letting it escalate and stuff like that, but at some point, if guys have issues, if you're a guy that wants to fight and that's who you are, then then he has to be himself. And if you're a guy that wants to bat flip, you can't get upset at the other person being who he is and, and the, his personality, and then the other guy can't get upset at how his personality is. So if everyone's saying... Hey, be you, be you. All right, well, then you're going to have a guy who's a fiery ass and wants to kick your ass, and then you're going to have a guy that wants to to party after it's a home run. So then sometimes those don't co-mingle. So something's going to have to happen, either fight or or just whatever. There are two things in this for me. One of them
0: is – I think like you referenced hockey, the antagonism there is something that people like fans like to see when they feel like the teams don't like each other, that the players have a genuine rivalry. I know some really old school fans get mad when they see guys hang out at batting practice and that stuff. Like, Oh, you guys should hate each other. But I think that's a bit much. The reality is lots of guys have histories with each other, whether it's pro ball or college or whatever it is. And you know, it's a small game and it's a brotherhood, but I think that the game does benefit from a little bit of that feistiness, from a little bit of that rivalry between guys, even on an individual level. However, the, the thing that I would say about Baumgartner is that his argument is fair in that if you be yourself, I'll be myself. And he's not hurting anyone by yelling at people. You know, he's not beating guys in a dangerous way. So you could make an argument that that's more productive, I guess, than, you know, throwing at guys' elbows or whatever. But he is asking you to believe that these two things are equally valid. And one of the things is kind of an expression of joy. And the other thing is kind of him being a dick. And so it kind of reminds me of if you turn on the news, like any political news, if there's something crazy going on, they'll bring on somebody and then they'll bring on somebody else with the opposite view. But like maybe it's about a story where there, like, there is only one view, but they need they feel the need to be balanced. So they're like, oh, we'll bring on this person. And then we'll bring on this crazy person with the opposite view, just so we seem balanced. And that's what it reminded me of him saying, like me being a really, you know, basically a dick is equally valid to someone else. Yeah, but he, kind why, of expressing the why, why being joy. a
1: dick. I think that he, he's, I mean, like he's just he's he's not a yelling dick, dude, at he's, people. Why? Because it because he he respects his craft and he respects how he wants to go about it. Dude, Madison Bumgarner has been the same guy. From the minor leagues, I played against this guy in the minor leagues. He is a guy who is competitive, as all get out. Like this guy is trying to eat your freaking lunch as a pitcher. Why he's been so successful? Because of his mentality. Like I, I don't think that he's being a dick. That's what makes him go. That's the same thing when people talk about Mark Strowman or Marcus Stroman and the way he does his shit on on the on the mound. All right. Could it be? Is it? Is it? Should but
0: Strowman's not do like Strowman's not like. Oh, well, oh umpire I, needs to hold me back. Like no, I'm yelling you around no, the he, bases. Are you
1: kidding me? Strowman is is always having issues with the other team, man. That that's that's ridiculous. But here's the thing. The the problem is at the end of the day, is everybody has an opinion. All this crap. If if, what I how I feel with my career, the way my career went, I wish I gave less craps about what other people thought because if Marcus Stroman needs to go on the mound and dance around and punch guys out and talk shit and do the things that he does to be Marcus Stroman do it man because if that's what makes you that's what makes you the best player that you are out on the field do it if Madison Bumgarner has to be a guy who's a, a red ass and wants to kick everybody's ass and that's the way he's going to be the best version of him do it man because when I was there and I was trying to be myself but I was worried about what other people thought my career freaking ended dude so that's how I feel about that when it comes to in the in the sports arena when you're in between the lines I commend people who who say fuck all you guys who have who care about what I have to to do and I'm gonna be me and I'm gonna be the best version of me because at the end of the day when the when the my career is over you guys aren't gonna call me you guys aren't gonna care about me I wish I had more of that. So I think Bumgarner, Max Muncie, Tim Anderson, all these guys, have your opinions. They need to do what makes them the best version of them because at the end of the day, I look at my career, I worried too much about what other people cared or thought about me and I worried about, and it killed my career because I wasn't the best version of myself. So that's how I feel about it. I just think it's you. you, you can't be like, oh, this guy's a dick or this guy's this or this guy... No, dude, that's what makes him special. And that's what—that's probably what's made him to have the career he's had is to be a, an asshole and a, and a hard ass. That's just I, – I just can't – I can't – people need to be themselves, and if that's the way it works, then that's what makes him special.
0: I agree with you that it's good for the game. People do me- need to be themselves. And I think that, like I said at the beginning, Baumgartner does bring up a valid point in that you know you're saying encouraging someone to be themselves and not someone else. But when I see this interplay take place, I'm gonna think more highly of Max Muncy than Ma- than Madison Bumgarner. That's all I'm
1: saying. Yeah, but that and that's your opinion. But Madison Bumgarner, no, he can doesn't. Give two I shits. don't want him to care. No, if no, he, no, no, he cares no. about me. He's doing it. Wrong. I know, but that's what I'm saying. That's why I like these guys that just do what they do and can go, hey, f you, f you, f you. I'm gonna do what I do. Just that's what I'm saying. People with Marcus Stroman here sometimes get rubbed the wrong way. All this stuff. Does he sometimes could it be tough or what he does over the board? Maybe, who knows? Possibly, yeah. But he's doing what makes him the best version of of Marcus Stroman. Gardner's doing the same thing for himself. So I I, I commend guys like that. I just think at the end of the day, that's why I love. The other day I was having a conversation with a hockey player, and he was a fighter, and he was telling me about a, a guy who had challenged him who was another great fighter because he was running around on the ice just whacking guys and their buddies, and he told them, hey, dude, I'm going to have to whoop your ass if you keep on doing this. And it stopped. He's like, okay, okay, I'll stop. I mean, not that baseball needs to have a, let's drop our gloves and go. But I mean, that's the things that I respect about that sport because stuff happens. People have problems with it. Teams have problems with it. It gets handled and then they keep on going. Baseball's baseball to me is like gotten super soft with things. They just old school days, guys, they handled this stuff. It wasn't as much of an issue. Now it's becoming so soft and this, oh, this guy did this and this guy did that. And this guy, it's so petty. It's like how people are on the street. I feel like everything is petty. Like, so that's how I feel about it. Let's get to our freaking guest.
0: I was going to say, oh, that's a good place to end it. And we're going to now talk to Guillermo Martinez. You gave me a really good segue and then you kept going. I don't, you know, but the segue was. Uh, about people being their best selves, and I was gonna say, oh, this is a guy whose job it is to have people who are their best selves. But then he had to keep going about hockey. Anyway, Sorry. here's it gets me
1: fired up, Guillermo Martinez. You know, I I talked about this before. One of the hardest workers in the game, and and a big reason of of why he's in the position he is. Um, Guillermo, can you talk about one uh, the opportunity at, at at such a young age to have uh, the chance to be a major league hitting coach?
2: You no, know, I mean, I, for the first off, I, I didn't expect to be one. Once I got the car and they offered a position, I was pretty uh, shocked to be honest. I came into baseball wanting to be a a hitting coordinator, and the reason I wanted to do that was because I wanted to impact coaches, and if I was able to impact coaches, I would be able to impact a whole organization. But, um, yeah, I guess through hard work and grinding it out with the players, uh, I guess some people understand and they give me an opportunity to be up there.
1: With grinding it out, right, and I, I think I've I, I talked about here about having coaches that had to grind it out through their careers, I think them being the best coaches. Do you think, you know, with your own career, how much that has helped you, you know, be the hitting coach that you are today?
2: Uh, I, I've been blessed to be around a lot of good coaches, uh, you know, Anthony and Posey from the the club organization, and, and you know John Maylie now with the Phillies. Uh, those guys really, really mentored me as I was growing up, even as a player. And once I started coaching, they they were big mentors of mine. And obviously paying attention, listening, and just grinding it out, seeing how they work, you know, on a daily basis with the players, making it more about the players at all times. Um, I think obviously that me to the position that I'm now. I learned from them, and I, I kind of me doing the same things and, and just through hard work and being there every single day for the players. Uh, I think there's really in this position.
0: This is an obligatory question, Guillermo, that we always get to, but uh, you're the perfect man to answer it. in terms of what have you seen from Vladdy so far? in terms of I think that everyone saw a guy who came up and had a little bit of a struggle and then found another gear. How have you been impressed with him and his ability to adjust and do what he's doing at the major league level at such a young age? Uh,
2: I'll I'll say this: he's obviously he has all the tools, he has all the abilities, but the mindset is what separates him from everyone else. Uh, just the fact that he doesn't um, put pressure on himself, he keeps things relatively simple, and he really enjoys playing baseball. Like he a kid out there playing any single day. Um, and, yeah, like I, 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 in the beginning of the season, once he got called up, he, yeah, he was struggling a little bit. But uh, it, it really – we all knew it reason going come out of it is because of the way he is and the way he presents himself on a daily basis at the field practice, the way he prepares. Uh, but just, just him getting his feet wet, you know, was the biggest thing, and, and now he's on a roll. I mean, he's played, like, seven homers in the last 25 games, OPS at, like, nine fifteen 15 or something like that. Um, but, no, it's incredible to see, the you know, the talent there that he is.
0: Another one of the young guys who's really intrigued me so far, and I know that the results haven't quite been there outside of one big game, is Biggio, just because his approach at the plate is so refined and so advanced. Uh, are you, were you surprised by him at all, a guy that young, able to, you know, his ability to lay off pitches and have, um, you know, kind of elite discipline already just a few games into his MOB career.
2: I I completely agree with uh your statement. I think he has great at bats. Uh I know he's he has he not had the luck at times. Uh he's been caught like a few times when we go back to the league they were actually balls. But uh the way he controls the zone, the his decision making is really as of now and I know when I saw him as a coordinator last year, I mean last year doubling he had like a hundred walks um, and, and I think that would translate into this level as well just because of his pay discipline. He doesn't really go swinging just at anything. He really wants to look for his pitch, and, and if he doesn't get it, he to swing
1: it. Yeah, obviously, last year, you know, being the hitting coordinator, you're around a lot of these young guys, and these, they are going to continue to come through. You know, Bo Bichette's on his way at some point as well. How awesome is it for you uh, to have been around these guys? How much Better does that make your job to to now have to have them in, in the big leagues after you've had that experience and that rep, you know, rep rapport with them in the minor leagues?
2: Yeah. Yeah. And I think the, the biggest thing, especially for a hitting coach, is to build these relationships to be better. And obviously, uh, I had the opportunity to start that relationship last year. So once I became a hitting coach and now that they're coming up, there, we definitely have that good working relationship and, and this person-to-person relationship as well. Strategic work with these guys. I know everything about them. They know everything about me. They know how I work. I know how they work. Um, and just the language itself too. We know how to communicate with each other. So it's a lot easier for me now.
0: Obviously, we want to talk to you about the young guys because that's kind of the way the Blue Jays are going, and that's also you, like you said, your experience in the minor leagues. But I'm curious, how does your job differ with the guys? So we talked about Biggio or Guerrero, guys who are just breaking in. In the major league level, how does your job differ dealing with them or dealing with someone like a Justin Smoke or Freddie Galvis, who's a veteran and already has their routines and has had a lot of success at the big league level?
2: Um, I remember sitting down with Smoke and Galvis and pretty much telling them, like, just being very open uh, with about about myself and who I am and how I work and and really letting them know that I was going to be there 100% for them, that no matter what, you know and. And, obviously, I had a lot to prove to them because I never played the big leagues. You know, I don't have the experience that they do as, as a player. Uh, but one thing, I th- as I'm pretty sure they do know is the work ethic and, and how I'm willing to be there. I'm available at all times for them um, and just continue to work. And I think in spring training, I showed that. I continued showing that throughout the, the course of the season. And that's how I kind of gained my respect, you know. Um, I earned my respect, you know, to them just by working hard and being available at all
1: times. time. Guy, how much fun is it working under, you know, Charlie Montoyo? I had him as a manager, or as a coach in the big leagues. How great has it been, just with the entire staff, because I feel like it's a young staff, a lot of energy, John Schneider, Matt Bushman, you have Shelley. you know, it's... How, how fun has it been it's, with
2: it's, them? No, it's been good. I know we've been struggling, obviously, everyone knows that, but like, just the, the positivity that Charlie brings every single day. Um, it, it's it's not even about baseball. It's just learning how to like, treat people, you know, and he's he's an incredible person when it comes to that. He, he comes in every single day, um, treats you like a human being, treats all the players like a human being, not just people like players, um, and just bringing that positive uh, vibe every single day. I know we're going to but bringing that positive vibe it, it, it's a different thing. It. And once things going, I'm pretty sure um, everything is going to blossom the way it should be.
1: All right, well, Enough for me on on baseball. One thing I want to ask is is now this is your first time full time season in one the major leagues and two uh, here in in Toronto. How much have you enjoyed uh, the big league life, which is is pretty much a fantasy life? And then uh, how much have you enjoyed the city of Toronto? Because I don't think people understand how amazing it is.
2: Um, to be honest, I like I, I do love the city. I do uh, when my wife was in town, we go out to restaurants. Uh, I love going to the keg see, but uh, but during the season I really haven't I love obviously I love the lifestyle flying planes and the hotels that we stay in but man we're so busy I don't think people understand how big these coaches are and how we prep on a daily basis Uh, shit for a 17 game I'm I'm at the stadium already like around 1130 prepping looking at video watching video on, on, on the pokey pictures and and by 1:30, 2 o'clock, guys are starting to enter the cage. I'm not there. I'm literally in the cage from 2 o'clock all the way to almost the anthem. You know what I mean? Or sometimes even guys are still hitting right right in the anthem. So it's it's uh it's definitely been a grind, but it's it's a blessing to be up in the bigs.
0: Before we let you go, I want to circle back to where we started with you, which is your playing experience. And I always like to ask coaches. You know, whatever, whatever their discipline is, about their experience as a player and how their coaching affects that. So I'm curious because there's been a lot of refinements in the way hitting is taught now, even in the last few years, and you played relatively recently. Is there anything that you wish that you'd known as a player that you know now as a coach?
2: Uh, yeah, one thing that that I try to appreciate, guys, is the practice. Uh, it's just a little harder than than the, your regular typical batting practice. You put yourself in a situation where where practice is a little difficult. You know, um, in baseball you have uh, the the tennis to practice and not game speed. So we're trying to find ways to prior the game, uh, make practice more game speed. So you learn how to control those emotions. You learn how to control those those anxieties that you that, that you actually feel in the batter's box. So one thing, yeah, when I was a player, there was some things that I didn't like to do. Why? Because I was exposed. And being exposed is not really, I mean, it's actually a good thing. So it helps you figure out some things. It helps you figure out what are the things that you need to work on and and, and get better at. But um, that's something that we're going with within the organization. I know we started that uh, mentality and philosophy when it comes to practice uh, last year in the minor league then and we're going in here the big
1: leagues uh, uh, slowly, but surely. Well, Guillermo, thank you for coming on. Uh, you are one of the great minds in baseball, and the Blue Jays are lucky to have you. And, and um, you know, again, it's fun to watch you work. I know how hard you work, and so the Blue Jays are in good hands.
2: No, thank you. Thank you guys for having me on.
1: So, you know, we got into a lot
0: about... Bumgarner and Muncie we like to sprinkle a little bit of Blue Jays content in there I know sometimes it's been grim this year I wanted to ask you about the defensive uh, experiments that are going on because there's a lot of guys that are you know playing a position for the first time or something they're going back to like Teoscar Hernandez didn't play center field for a long time he's going back to that So I want to ask you which one that you thought was the most interesting, which did you like the most? Because it's kind of been, I think that's been the the biggest story around the Blue Jays the last little bit has been how this defense is evolving. Uh, I mentioned it, Teoscar in center field, Gurriel in left field. There have been some highlights there. Uh, Drury at shortstop, that's one I didn't expect to see. And then, uh, to be fair, Biggio was doing this a little
1: bit in the minors, but Biggio at first base slash outfield. Well, the, the one for me that has been the best has been Guriel. And I had this uh conversation actually with Sandy Alomar uh senior, who it you could tell, man, it just freed him up. Like he doesn't have to worry, he doesn't have to think. Like, look at his offense because of it. So for me that was the, the biggest move was moving uh Lourdes to, to left field for his for one, the Blue Jays, two his own success, like Obviously, different person out there. Now, the one that I like the most in the sense of the the testing is Teoscar in center field. Why? Teoscar plays center field in winter ball. Center field is the easiest outfield position, quote-unquote, because you have a, a pure view of the catcher. So, for example, you see what pitches are being thrown. You can see where the catcher is setting up. You can see the ball flight much easier when it's hit. So for him, putting him out there in center field, I'm sure it gives him a comfort that he didn't have in left field because obviously we saw how in left field it was a little tougher for him. So I do think that center field is an easier position. Even talking to Kevin Pillar about playing right field with the San Francisco Giants, he's like, man, it is really tough. It has been a super hard adjustment. This is one of the best defenders in in baseball because you can't see the ball off the bat as well. You can't see... And so, this gives him a better opportunity to be successful defensively. I think Grichuk—you can put Grichuk anywhere. I think in the outfield, he's going to be really, really good. Um, but that's the—that's what I want to see. I want to see. All right, he's in center field. It's a more comfortable position. He'll be able to go at it a little bit easier. Will it affect his offense? Will it? Will it help him be a better offensive player? because he's in a position in the outfield that he feels more comfortable in. That's what I want to see for Teoscar, and that's a good thing about where the Blue Jays are at and fans have to be patient is go, well, now they're kind of putting the pieces to the puzzle because, listen, right around the corner, there's some big arms coming up. This team's going to be good, but it's now we can experiment and see what we need to do because when that puzzle is put together, You want to make sure that the pieces are where they need to be. See, I thought that you
0: were going to go 100% in on Gurriel because he's always been your guy since day one. There's been some highlights too. So I was planning to talk about Teoscar. You kind of covered it, but I like uh, the idea of Teoscar in center field. I know it does seem counterintuitive to some people because he struggled left and then you put him in center, but he's got a lot of speed and like you said, in a way, center is a simpler position, so I feel like he can just kind of run after the balls out there. I don't know if it's going to work or not, but also the threshold for his offense is actually quite a bit lower in center field. He doesn't have to absolutely be this incredible bat to justify playing center. If he can play center okay, and he can hit, even if he hits like he did last year, which had some flaws in it and he didn't get on base enough, that would still be good enough for a center fielder. So, I really like that idea. I Again, I don't know if it's going to work. I don't like Grichik much in center. I think he's a guy who's really good in the corner. In center, he can be a little bit shakier. So I think that that fits the puzzle that you're talking about a little bit better. That's the one that I'm a little bit more excited about. Guriel, like you said, seems like it frees him up. There's less to think about in left field than the infield. And we saw how the throws went wrong from second base. He's throwing fine from the outfield. The decisions are going to be better. Cut off man, throw to the plate that kind of thing, that's going to come with experience. So for me, Teoscar is the one that I'm watching the most closely because I already feel like Gurriel is going to be fine. Like I'm already kind of like, oh, that's going to be okay. I don't see any barriers to that working. Teoscar is the one, and like, you know, the other ones I kind of reference, like Brandon dredge out, that just probably shouldn't happen, to be honest. Uh, you know, Biggio, I like him better as a second baseman because I think he's probably your future second baseman, you know, I like Devin Travis a lot as a player, but you know we've said it before—the reliability just isn't there. So if you have Biggio and you kind of lock him in at second base, second base, Bichette, shortstop, Vladdy, third base, maybe first base someday, whatever it is, you've got the majority of your infield kind of sorted. So I like—I mean, versatility never hurts, but I like him as a primary second baseman, and I think that that's the way Montoyo sees him too.
1: Yeah, no, I, with Bijou, I wanted to touch on it, too. I think that it's it's great to have him move around, and I the reason why I look at it is because now it's so matchup, matchup, that let's say he starts the game because it's a right-handed pitcher and they want to keep him in because they're, he's an everyday at-bat, at but maybe there's somebody in left that you have because of the the matchup Sixth inning, they bring in relievers, maybe then now you can change. You can have you can have pinch hitters. You can do things where you can take Bijgio and move him to second base if that's who he has to come in for. Or if he can move Bijgio to left field. Like I think when you have a guy who can who can kind of play different positions, it allows you also to play those matchups, which is baseball has become so matchup oriented that when you have to make a move, it doesn't hurt the defense to go like, oh crap, we gotta throw this guy at a different position. I think it gives the opportunity to move have a swing man that can play different positions so that you can make more in-game decisions.
0: Well, yeah, cuz if say he only plays second base, then you know, you could that opens up pinch hitting at one position. Maybe if he plays three different positions, you can pinch hit for your left fielder then move Bijo from second to left. You could pinch hit for your first baseman. I know that doesn't Happen too much, but I don't know whatever rowdy struggling against lefties for a month you want to give a different look and then ends up with bijot first base so like you said it opens up late game possibilities. I just think that in the grander scheme of things you want to envision him as a second baseman like those players that you're building around, I think you want to envision them as their primary
1: position, but yeah, it never hurts to have those type of options yeah so that's that's what I think um is is Excuse me. Is a, such a great uh, time now again for the Blue Jays? Is that you can do these little things to test it out, see, you know, again where this puzzle's going? Because there's guys on their way, right? And there's going to be guys that come up. There's going to be free agents that they're having to see. So where they have to test these guys and see, all right, where's the best version of Teoscar? Where's the best version of Randall? Okay, can we move him to different spots? Will he still produce at different spots? And then you allow it allows you to. OK, gather all this information and then go, OK, well, now next year, maybe we go after this free agent or maybe we, you know, we do this, you know, this make this decision. And I think that's that's where it's although it's a tough year in the sense of, you know, obviously, they're not going to probably make the playoffs and all these different things. But they have an opportunity to, to mix and match so that they are better for the future. And I like that they're sticking to that plan of doing different things to develop that because. Everyone always says like, Oh yeah, we're gonna we're gonna we're in a developmental stage, yada yada yada. A lot of teams do that and then don't fully buy in. I think that the front office has bought in, which I I like. You know, I like to see what they're they've done. They're taking advantage of the fact they're not gonna be competitive. They're saying,
0: you know, we know we're not gonna win right now. How can we turn that to our advantage? Like you said, it's by the information gathering. So we're gonna end it. With a classic, would you rather... I, wouldn't, I don't know if this is a classic, would you rather. It's an interesting one, though. Would you rather get 50 cents every time you jump or one cent every time you take a step?
1: Would I rather...
0: 50 cents for every jump or one cent for every step?
1: 50 cents for every jump, one dollar for every... One cent for every step.
0: Now, like if, I think if you're playing out an average person's life, you're going to make more money on the stats. But if you have this information in hand and you know that you're going to make 50 cents a jump, you can really what, introduce what, more jumping into
1: your lifestyle. I was going to say, though, what, what do I have, how, how much off the ground <laughs> d- consists of a jump? Because I think both feet have to be off the ground, right? Yeah.
0: Well, you, know, you can't just hop on one foot. Yeah,
1: yeah. But I just... Do I have... to. Is it like no box jumps? Like I would have to jump high to get up? No, on? it's
0: not like the NFL combine. No one's measuring your jumps. You just got to get your feet off the ground. I guess... Uh, what's the difference between a hop and a jump? In my head, a jump, you're probably bending your knees to push up. Like it's not just a straight
1: Oh, dude, I'm bounce. going... I'm going... I'm going to... I'll take the 50 cents for the, for the jumps. Because I... I'll make sure that I do enough jumps a day that it would it would surpass how many steps I take a day, even though I do take, you know, now we can track all these things and you take 10,000 steps a day, blah, 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 blah. But I think if you if you do enough jumps, you could by far blow your steps out of the water. I like to work out. I like to do these things. So I would say that it wouldn't be as much of a stretch for me to go, hey, I have to get, you know, 500 jumps in today or whatever it may be uh to to surpass the amount of steps and i would in, i would incorporate it into all my workouts you'd want to jump rope a lot that's for sure i would like a boxer would, yeah so i think that's i think for me it's jumping i don't know about you
0: it, it it comes down to how lazy are you at the end of the day, right? Because if you want to make the most money, I think you can make the most money with jumps. Like I talked to Zoobs about this. We did a little bit of math. There's sort of a ceiling on how many steps you can take in a day. Like if you, even if you walk around for X number of hours, like you can, I think we ended up kind of figuring out that if you walked and you kind of made walking your everyday job, you could prob your five day a week job, you could probably make, sixty to seventy grand. Uh so you could you could live a life of a guy who just walks around and like listens to podcasts and music and that wouldn't be the worst life in the world. But it's also when you think about it not too dissimilar to being a mailman. Uh you know, which you know some people are in for that job, some people aren't. I don't know if that's the life I would choose. I think what I would probably do realistically is I I'd probably take the steps and I wouldn't make it my full time job. I would just make a big effort to walk everywhere so it would be like i have my job and then i have this it's like my side hustle would be walking yeah we we'll would be walking because hey do you want to
1: go to that restaurant that's two miles away yeah let's cab no, no 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 we're
0: walking we're gonna walk
1: yeah we just have to leave two hours before with it's our like the reverse
0: of uber where like i'm making money by doing it no i i think that that's what i would do because you could get a trampoline you could jump a bunch of rope and you could make some money with it but i think that i would take instead of you know making my whole life around this, I would just use this as a bonus. And I love to walk in general. Like I, I will go for a walk as a recreation, like it's a, whatever I'm going to go for a two hour walk. So I love to do that anyway. I would just lay that on even thicker and then get this nice, uh, side hustle
1: to keep me financially secure. Yeah, no, I, I think you have a good point. I just, for me, I know how much I enjoy training and I would make sure I jump like a madman through my, through my workouts and I would jump rope. I'd do a ton of different things. And I'd, instead of walking upstairs, I'd hop up the steps. To- you could
0: install trampoline floors in your house too. So you're, you're, if you're going from your bedroom down to your kitchen or whatever, you could be jumped like that's, you know, 11 jumps, you know, that's five bucks 50. Yeah. So you don't yeah. want to leave that on the
1: table. Yeah. <laughs> so that's, uh, I think that they're, they're both wins though. I honestly think that they're both wins because, we're making money for doing nothing in, in essence right well like you, you know most of these ones still. i give you are like either you know gross or unpleasant yeah, so, so this is a I good
0: slide one. you a nice one for i appreciate one.
1: that it was a good one today
0: all right we're gonna wrap it there we appreciate you guys listening subscribing r- reviews itunes spotify wherever you're getting your podcasts hope you guys enjoyed and uh, we'll see you next week see you